TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. Welcome back to the program. Mom Zev Brenner. Our radio Jews are having their pop cultural moments. So says the Wall Street Journal, an article that came out a week or so ago. Our guest has been featured in that article in the Wall Street Journal. Our guest is somebody who's proficient. She knows a lot about Haredi culture. Dr. Shana Weiss is the Schusterman Center for Israel Studies. She serves as the Associate Director. She was a Distinguished Visiting Scholar of Israel Studies at the United States Naval Academy. She taught future officers about Hipster Herzl, Haredi Jews in the Israeli Army. She's writing a book about gender segregation in Israel, and she's also interested in the politics of Israeli popular culture, and she's actually analyzed some television shows in Israel dealing with Haredim. So welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So is this something new that Haredim are becoming popular in mass American culture and also other parts of the world? So I would say that there's always been interest. Um, and, you know, we have examples dating back, you know, to theater, for example, or is Hebrew literature. But I would say in the past 10 or 15 years, we've seen a huge amount in quantity um, and also where from where it's coming from. So rather than, let's say, from the outside looking in or stories only of people who have left the fold, we're seeing a lot more stories um, either coming from Haredim who want to represent their own lives or um, also just different kinds of stories about the community in all different sorts of ways. But all the ones that gotten the most attention, like my unorthodox life, or about the other ones where people leaving the fold, that seems to get the most attention in the media. So I think for an American media, what gets the most attention is, of course, the stories that have sensationalism, right? Um, that are about leaving, that are, you know, that have these sort of preconceived notions about what orthodoxy means or more extreme versions. But we do see that there is interest in different kinds of stories as well. So, for example, Shtisel, which is about a family, it's about family drama, right, which was on Netflix until recently, was hugely popular. And especially in Israel, um, we see all different kinds of stories, anything from different kinds of families. There is a Haredi horror series. And there's even actually Haredim on reality television. Um, a Haredi 20-year-old actually just got third place on the Israeli version of Big Brother, Yanki Goldhaber. Very wow. popular right now in Israel. Well, tell us about the Israeli horror show. What is that about? So it's called Malach Hamachshi, like Angel of Destruction, right, or Angel of Death. Um, it is about a, uh, it seems that women are randomly sort of being possessed and uh, committing all sorts of crimes. And it seems like there may be a sort of demon dibic possession um, and a uh, a woman and a uh, physicist uh, sort of team up to try and figure things out. But it sort of goes deep into the Haredi world and thinks about it from a horror point of view. It's a fascinating show. Because there were a couple of movies recently in the United States, I forgot the name, also, with the soul, a woman dies and somebody has to be show me the body and he has visions the whole night. And also... there's, been a, there's been a lot of really interesting sort of Jewish, both Israeli and American horror movies over the past couple of years that deal with all sorts of interesting Shomer, uh, uh, social issues. There was um, one called Attachment. There was one about it, sort of a Dybbuk character. There's one right about Shmira. So we see in all sorts of genres that's coming up. Well, Matis Joe starred in one such film, right? 
Yes, about I believe the, so. About a dibuk, yeah. right. So yeah. he's a singer that was Haredi, then became non-Haredi, but I think that movie was made when he was Haredi, if yeah, I remember correctly. I think so as well. So why the fascination all of a sudden with Haredim in popular culture? We have Rough Diamonds, which is doing well, which has the one and only talent, very talented Dudu Fisher in the main we role. We love Dudu Fisher. Uh, so I think it's a couple of things. One, especially if we look at Israel, there are, of course, just a lot more Haredim, right? Um, right now in Israel, Haredim are about 10%, 11%, depending on who you ask, of the population. Um, and within that, there's a significant population, as I'm sure a lot of you all know, of Haredim who are connected with the modern world, who are interested in popular culture, who have social media, who use the Internet, um, and they're engaging with Israeli society. And then when we get sort of outside of that, I would say there is a general interest in religious groups, groups that are seen as extreme right? How many, you know, quote-unquote cult documentaries or things like that are there? And in the era of streaming, I think people are willing and interested of watching things that may be outside of their culture. So, for example, you can watch Korean TV, you can watch Mexican TV, so why not watch a show about a people you may not be familiar with? I also know that Yiddish has made a comeback in some of these television shows, movies, right? Right. So the, what's really interesting is, of course, how these shows use Yiddish, right? Some use more than others. Some actually like hire Yiddish consultants that um, help, uh, you know, sort of train the actors how to speak. Um, and it's also, yeah, it's really, really interesting to see how Yiddish works in these shows. And personally, I enjoy it. I like hearing the Yiddish on the screen. And so do I. You know, but if you ask the average Haredi, at least in the United States, I don't know about Israel, and you say, how are Haredim portrayed in the media? And they're going to tell you we have such a negative image of Haredim. They always portray us in the most negative light. But what you're saying from some of these television shows and movies, it might be a different picture. Or is it really? So I think there is a different picture. I think, you know, obviously Israel has plenty of issues when how it thinks about Haredim and who you talk about and, you know, who you portray. But I think you are seeing a new kind of media that's interested in seriously engaging with the issues, like not showing people as perfect, right? That's just boring. No one wants to watch perfect people on TV. But if you take a show like The Patient, for example, which um, has a um, sort of a subplot where one of the sons of the main, of the main character becomes ultra-Orthodox or some sort of observant, and he's not perfect, right? But he's a very serious, very committed character um, where his orthodoxy is taken seriously. So I think you're starting to see a shift in where it's not just an exit narrative, right, of people leaving, although obviously that's important. Um, and it's not just the butt of a joke. So it's far from perfect, but the answer is always more representation, right? So I'm always just for more kinds of stories and more kinds of, yeah, more kinds of stories being told. Now, I remember years ago, and it was a different kind of portrayal of Haredim, was A Stranger Among Us, where you had, mm -hmm. you know, Crown Heights, you had the wedding, you had mm -hmm. the, the very good-looking, right, Rob, Robbie Benson, Chassid, he was, like, super mm -hmm. glamorous, right? It had a different kind of feel than today. Today, it's more nuanced. You have problems, even Stitzel's problems, even Rough Diamonds, you know, doesn't portray everybody in the best of life. People like the movie or the series, actually. I was a little disturbed because I didn't... I felt there was a little more negativity than positivity. In, you mean in a Rough Diamonds? In rough Diamonds, or, yeah. Well, rough Diamonds is a crime drama, right? This is showing, um, you know, it's about 
it's about, you know, diamonds and crime and embezzling and that sort of thing. And I think with Rough Diamonds, it sort of happened to be about, right, a Haredi family in Antwerp. Um, you know, there are some people with everything, I think, you know, I'll say this. Dramas need conflict, right? No one wants to watch perfect people, right? Or comedies or whatnot. Um, so I think it's a question of how those faults are portrayed and is it something that's sort of quote unquote inherent to the religion. So Rough Diamonds, for example, it doesn't necessarily bother me, although I can see how people are upset about it, because it's not shown as something like inherently Jewish that like, you know, playing on stereotypes of money or things like that. It happens to be a family gets involved for a whole host of reasons and shenanigans, to put it mildly. Um, what bothers me is if things sort of fall under stereotypes or sort of voyeuristic, if people are painted as sort of, you know, extremes or, I don't know, all Orthodox women are oppressed or all Jews are greedy. Like those, I think, are bad stereotypes. But showing Orthodox Jews as people, that doesn't bother me. No, it's people. But like I said, it does feed into some of the negativity that's out. There's a lot of negativity about Haredi Jews, about Orthodox Jews. So while I liked the acting, I thought it was terrific and they were very careful, even in the funeral scene, that the right safe or the right book was being mm -hmm. held by the participants in the funeral. So a lot of attention was paid to detail. But on the other hand, you had this family that engaged in shenanigans. And, you know, well, I'm not saying it never would happen, but it seemed like it was taken to an extreme, at least in my professional opinion. I think that's fair. I would also argue TV is TV. And I think it raises really good questions, right? What's the point of shows like this? Are they to educate? What responsibility do they have to truth, quote unquote, right? What does it mean to portray different groups, right? In every group, right? What's interesting to me as I started doing research, thinks about these things. Those are, for example, portrayals of Muslims on shows like Rami or Mo, right? There's tons and tons of discussions internally. Is this good for us? Is this not good for us? Conversations in the Asian American community. So I would argue it's a age old pastime of representation to think about and to see um, what effects these shows might have both internally and also sort of in the wider world. We're looking at Haredi Jews and mass culture. Our guest is Dr. Shana Weiss. She is the Associate Director of the Schusterman Center for Israel Studies. She's a specialist when it comes to Haredim and Jews and media, and she has consulted with the United States Naval Academy. She was there for two years teaching them about Haredi Jews. By the way, what did you find in the Naval Academy? What were some of the most common questions that they want to know about Haredi Jews? So, first of all, they knew they existed maybe, but the thing that was hardest for them to understand is that Orthodox Jews is just an umbrella term, right? When they think of religion, especially it was Maryland, they tended to think of Catholicism, right? So they thought about a Pope who told everyone what to do, who sort of made the rules from on high. And I remember once I was explaining to them, we were talking about the IDF and I was saying some Orthodox Jews do join the IDF. Some Orthodox Jews don't join the IDF in Israel, you know, between like Haredi and Dati Lumi. And one of them said to me, Dr. Weiss, if they're Orthodox, shouldn't they all be doing same things, not different things? And I think for them, really, is just the diversity of practice that it just, again, there's so many different kinds of being Orthodox. That was something that um, was complicated, but also very interesting for them. Um, but a lot of them also had their own religious background and were really interested in how a different religion um, did these things and thought about these things. 
No, because I can imagine it comes as a culture shock because you have to really understand the differences even among the Hasidim and between whether between a Sarpur and a Chabadnik and some other groups, right? It may be hard for them to understand. Now, in New York, I have to say the elected officials understand that you have two Sarpur Rebbe's and they know that they have to navigate between the two. They become very sophisticated. But if you're dealing with somebody in the, in a naval school who may not be familiar with Jews and Jewish practice, it must be a whole culture shock for them. It definitely was, although I will say I had a couple of members of the wrestling team and a bunch of them knew about Judaism because they had wrestled with the YU wrestling team. (laughs) Um, So they knew a bit more. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of times they were able to compare and think about things in their own life. And they were so, so smart and so interested that they were fast learners and they really enjoyed learning about it. What's Hipster Herzl? Hipster Herzl. So um, one of the things we talk about when when I teach history of Zionism or is, you know, when we study people, sometimes we just study like their writings. Um, but it's also really important to realize that Hipster, that, excuse me, Herzl, et cetera, also was an image. He was very good looking. He had a big beard. Um, he was very popular as a sort of symbol of Zionism. So there's um, a contemporary Israeli artist, whose name I'm blanking on, I can find it later, who has done a series of Zionists and world leaders and sort of hipster gear. And Herzl is one of them. So when we talk about Zionism and the history of Zionism and ideas, we don't just talk about what Herzl wrote, like the Jewish state or Alt-Neuland. We also talk about Herzl's image. And I show them posters, memorabilia, T-shirts, et cetera, to talk about how the image of someone can be just as important as their ideas as well. Now, getting back to your covering the Israeli scene, you've actually watched a lot of Israeli television deal with Haredim. Now, I know Stitzel has come to the United States. I think they were talking about even making a Stitzel in Borough Park. I don't know whatever happened of that. But it would seem to me with the success of Stitzel, I'm surprised that some of the other Israeli television series or movies, whether it's the horror series, never made it to the shores. I think it probably would do well along with what Stitzel did. I'm curious to know as to why it hasn't been able to migrate to, to this country. Yeah, so I was actually just speaking to a television creator earlier in the week, and she was telling me that when networks think of Israeli shows, they are interested in like shows about the Mossad or shows like Fauda that are very about the conflict and lots of action and lots of thrillers, and that they see that there's less interest in what we would call character-driven shows or Jewish shows, which I obviously think is a shame. Um, I think these shows have a lot of potential to reach you know, not just a Jewish audience, but are really interesting, you know, stories. There are, you know, some smaller streaming services like HiFlix or Izzy that are catching some of these shows. So, for example, HiFlix has um, the new black, Shabab Nikim, which is a great, hilarious show about four guys in yeshiva, or I should say sort of they should be in yeshiva, but they're sort of hanging out um, in Mamilla instead and all the hijinks they get into. So we do see that if they are not able to get on a Netflix or an Amazon Prime, that they get on some of these smaller streaming services. But with the extenso Stissel, which did well, I'm just surprised it didn't fawn others to follow. But I'll be curious to know what the numbers are compared to Stitzel, like, for example, to My Unorthodox Life or Julia Hart, right. which, which got a lot of attention, too, even though I think it only made it to two seasons. I don't think we'll make it to a third one. 
Right. So one of the things that's really hard, actually, is that we don't know numbers for anything streaming. Right. This is why the actors were on strike. Right. Until a couple of weeks ago. Hopefully we'll maybe be able to get some more data in the past, in the future. I will say, though, with Shtisl, there has actually been a Turkish remake of Shtisl. So uh, with a Muslim family using the same sort of basic plot lines of religious and secular and uh, it's set in Istanbul and there's lots of drama at the mosque. Um, I tried using Google Translate to read some reviews and was able to get some out of it, but unfortunately my Turkish isn't up to snuff, so I've had to rely on that. But that's been really interesting to me that it's been, that it was successfully remade in Turkey. Well, listen, when Fiddler on the Roof was very popular as a Broadway show, uh, they had adapted many other cultures. I think it was a big hit in Japan, having a exactly. Japanese family, so it was able to transcend. Exactly. There's a great interview with um, Dove Glickman, who plays Shalem and Shtisel, right? This is the father figure. And they asked him what his inspiration was. And he said his inspiration for his character was uh, Tony Soprano, right? Of Soprano's fame. Except instead of violence, he thinks of Chulent, right? <laughs> I think one of the reasons that Shtisel is so successful is that everyone can relate to family drama, right? Someone passes away, you're trying to think about the next generation. So yeah, of course, it's about Haredim, but the issues that it deals with are issues that any person deals with, which is right, of course, why Fiddler on the Roof also has a really international appeal. So let me ask you this question. In Israel, more than in America, you have a divide between the Haredim, the Orthodox, and the secular in the country. When you have shows such as Stitzel and others that are showing and really showing the Haredim to the main Israeli society, has had any impact in lessening the tensions when they see that the issues that they grapple with in the secular world are the same issues that the Haredim grapple with? So what's interesting is that there have actually been funders, right? People who have helped make some of these shows happen. Um, Shtisel is one of them, actually, originally. It's the um, Gesher Fund, which literally means bridges, which says, okay, maybe if people watch television shows about other kinds of people, maybe they'll, right, have different opinions, be able to change their minds. The question, the, the issue is it's hard to measure that, right? Like, how do you even begin to figure that out? Um by the way, same questions have been asked about American television, right? What happens if you see different racial minorities or things like that? There seems to have some effect, um, but again, it's just something that's really hard to measure. Uh, how, although from anecdotes, right, from individual people, we see that it really sort of causes them to think. So for example, I mentioned um, Yonki Goldhaber, my favorite, if you know Hebrew, recommend his social media, it's great. He was this 20-year-old who went on Israeli version of Big Brother. He placed third. He is constantly doing interviews. He's now recognized places. And you see people post things like, this has allowed me to think about Haredim in a better light. This is the first Haredi person I really related to or talked to. So I think on an individual level, it's definitely made effects. Whether that will change policy or what people think, that I don't know. Now, it used to be in the days of television before streaming, I think all the major television shows had a Jewish episode. What was the Waltons, <laughs> right? That was right. something which they had to do it. And they, I don't know if they got it right in how they portrayed, you know, Orthodox Jews, but they, they made an attempt. I think that has changed because the whole landscape has changed. But you even have a show where you have an Orthodox detective. Uh, on one, I right. think on Peacock, where he's quoting right. uh, different scriptures and, and you've been Orthodox detective. So you see that. What do you see the trend will be continuing? Is there anything else in the offing right now where you're going to see more Orthodox characters or more Orthodox shows coming up? I think you 
we'll see more because also obviously the percentages are different, but there are more Orthodox Jews in America, right? The percentage is growing. And just like in Israel, there's a huge percentage of people here who are interested in, in arts and creation. And we have mini markets, right? We can have, right, if something might not be an ABC show, but it could be a web series, it could be a TikTok account, right? And there's huge amounts of interest in this and consuming this. And I think um, sort of the role of social media is really important in all this and well. And yeah, and I do think there's more and we'll hopefully see more. And yeah, I'm all for, you know, my response to people is when they don't like something, I say, make something else. Um, but I will say something that's different than Israel and America is that, and these are generalities, that I find that Israel is a bit better in promoting the role of the arts in the religious communities. So if, you know, we, and I'll include myself as part of the Orthodox community here, we want to make sure that the arts, broadly speaking, can be a career path, right? You know, do we have arts classes in our schools? Do we teach high school students filmmaking or screenwriting, right? I think that's really important. In Israel, there are places that you can do that, right, from a Jewish point of view. In America, a bit less so. Well, I don't know how many Orthodox actors or actresses there are. I mean, there used to be Stephen Hill. Right. Uh, Mission Impossible, he became Orthodox. Today, maybe Mario Bialik, maybe. I right. can't conclude her, but who else? Uh, so... You know, there are definitely different actors with different levels of observance who do different different things. But you don't have to be an actor, right? You could be a screenwriter. You could be a producer. You Ilana Warnick. Right. She started working right. for us, by the way, at Tolkien. That's where we started her career. Right. Right. So there are all different sorts of ways that you could think about and that you can contribute. Um, although, obviously, there are challenges as well. Before I let you go, your book coming out about gender in Israel, what's it going to be looking at? So my book, which um, I'm still sort of finishing up the manuscript, but it's about the question of gender segregation. And which is, as you probably know, in the news all the time, um, I'm interested in gender segregation, not should it be legal, should it be not? Um, there are plenty of people thinking about that and writing about that, but I'm interested in the question of what it means for how, how are you deemed think about the state? Because usually when scholars talk, they say, Oh, Haredi Jews, especially in Israel, they're anti-Zionist because they're not ideologically Zionist. But I say that reality is a bit more complicated because, for example, Haredi Jews in Tel Aviv in the 1950s and 60s successfully lobbied the city government for a separate beach in Tel Aviv, a gender segregated beach. Maybe a lot of your listeners have been there or seen it. So I'm saying that they may say that they are anti-Zionist, but actually they're interested in some ways in partnering with the state even if they don't ideologically agree. So I'm looking at that process to try and get a more nuanced understanding of how Haredi Jews in Israel especially relate to the state of Israel. And by the way, I'm not sure if we would make it to the book about Yom Kippur, where they had a problem in Tel Aviv with the Mechitza, with the segregation. I was just telling someone, I got to rewrite my conclusion to include that. They'll probably <laughs> get a mention in the end as I'm working on the manuscript. I want to thank you, Dr. Shana Weiss, for joining us again. She is with Brandeis. She is the Associate Director of the Schusterman Center for Israel Studies. She's helped train the United States Naval Academy. They can understand the Haredim. She's a specialist in Israeli culture, especially dealing with Haredim, Haredim in movies, Haredim in pop culture. We appreciate uh, your being here with us. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, this is Alan Dershowitz. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Brana. He is so smart and he is so 
innovative, and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 